Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'll try to finish up on a verse that I've been trying to get through for the past few weeks. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 14. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 14. Also, uh, this week going on is Apostolic Camp Ministries, which is what would used to be Tri-State Camp at Santa Claus, Indiana. Uh, if you're interested, that is there. Um, so to, to go and be a part of over in Santa Claus, Indiana, amen. And so just want to make you aware of that. That's happening this week, Monday through Friday, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 14. I had originally said I'd have something out there for a van or so on and so forth. I changed my mind. I have, we haven't been, it's been crazy. I didn't get anything up. So if you want to go, provide your own transportation. If I want to go, I'll provide my own transportation. And we'll just work independent of each other. Okay? So I'm not necessarily keeping you from going. If you want to go, amen, go. But I don't want you to depend upon me either. Because I'll be leaving Thursday to go back right where I came from to catch a plane for Boston, Massachusetts. And so, and be in prison uh, for a few days. And so, we're excited about that and what God is going to do in prison coming up next weekend. First Thessalonians 5 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. For the past two weeks, and when I say two, I mean within this month, and I think maybe a little bit of last month, we talked about uh, that warning the unruly or, or that whole idea of keeping rank. We talked about that. We talked about comforting the feeble-minded or, or the faint of heart, uh, meaning those that normally when the going got tough, they were ready to quit. And so we tried to encourage the quitters. And uh, we understand that this is something that is not just a responsibility of, of a leader or, or a pastor, but it's our responsibility. It's the church body's responsibility to do these things that the Apostle Paul was speaking of. And so this morning I want to talk about uh, support the weak, and, we'll, and that's W-E-A-K, support the weak. And we'll try to finish this up here uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Father, I come to you today. I'm so grateful, Lord, for being able to be here. God, I pray, Lord, with your people. I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts, you would touch our minds and our spirits. Help us, Lord, to lean in one more time, God, to 1 Thessalonians 5.14 here, God, and receive instruction, Lord, from your word. I pray, God, let it abide in our lives and in our hearts, God, that we will not fail, Lord, to praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you accomplish and for what we allow you to accomplish, Lord, in our individual lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen, amen, everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated again this morning. And so since you have slept a few days, I'll try to bring us to speed on this again in case you have forgotten. So to remind you again uh, that this church, the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church, again, they were preoccupied with the coming of the Lord. They were, they were preoccupied with the catching away of the church. Some had thought that it had already occurred and it had already happened. Others were 
very so, very much so concerned about some loved ones that they had that had passed away and that was buried in the ground. They didn't really know how this whole catching away, this rapture of the church was going to work for those that had already died. And so there was a little bit of worry uh, concerning that. And yet, whenever we see that this is the context, people that are concerned about the coming of the Lord or their mind is constantly occupied with the coming of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians rather 5.14 is almost like a cross-section then of the church that we find here in Thessalonians. And that cross-section is revealing something about a church that is preoccupied with the coming of the Lord. And, and I would dare to say it's probably a good representation of most churches during any season, amen, of church life. And that is, among them were some that were unruly. And among them were some that were feeble-minded. And among them were some that were also weak. And yet they were preoccupied with the Lord might be coming back. Amen. Yet you had these variety of people in the church at that time. And I believe that they are in the church at any time. Uh, there are those that are unruly that need to be somehow instructed to get on the path and get to keep in rank again and marching in alignment with where they should be. There are others that are faint-hearted that need to be encouraged that they don't need to give up. They don't need to quit. They don't need to throw in the towel. And then there are the weak. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 3, states these words, and listen to them well, and I'll try to place emphasis where I want emphasis to be this morning. It says in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. The apostle Paul in this setting is writing to Timothy, his son in the gospel. And he is writing to Timothy concerning the day of the Lord. He is writing to Timothy concerning the last days or the coming of the Lord, the rapture, if you will, of the church. And he described how this one, that individual or that person, how they may be responding during that season of the coming of the Lord. How they may respond during that hour of the rapture of the church when it could get place. And then Paul got very personal with Timothy and he told Timothy thou in all things endure afflictions you do the work of an evangelist you make full proof of thy ministry and so Paul was contrasting two things he said there's going to come the time of the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord and there are going to be people that are not going to be enduring sound doctrine he says there's going to be people that are going to just be heaping to themselves teachers and they're going to be drawn by their own lust. They're going to have itching ears. They're going to be turning toward whatever fancies them. They're going to be turning to fables. But then he says, but you, Timothy, he says, you're going to endure afflictions and you're going to be an evangelist to this world. And I believe what Paul was relaying to Timothy is this. He says, when it comes to the hour of the coming of the Lord and the last days, he says, we should have a response and reaction that's different just than the normal Joe. 
There'll be others that will go after, after things that are not sound doctrine and heaping themselves teachers and lust. He says, but we need to be ones that are enduring. They, they won't endure sound doctrine, but you will endure afflictions. They, they, won't listen, they won't listen to sound teaching. They're going to listen to fables, but you should be a heralder of truth and a teacher of truth. There should be a different reaction. And I believe that to be the case. Paul knows that the church was just as much prone to all these feelings of being weak and feeble-minded and also not keeping rank. But he also wanted to put an exclamation point that our response to the end time should not be the same response as the world. Amen. Because folks, when we realize we have a hope that goes beyond this life, then our response absolutely should be and can be different. Amen. And so among all these instructions for each of us, the body, to help warn the unruly and do so and so forth, to warn the unruly and comfort the feeble-minded, is this other one that we should support the weak. Paul is trying to present a very well-balanced church. Because if we don't watch it as a body, we can get hung up on warning the unruly, right? Warning the unruly, but then failing to comfort and support those that are feeble-minded and the weak. I'm not saying it's an either-or. I'm saying it's an and-both. Huh? That... That there needs to be the warning, but there must also be the comfort and the support. And there must be the comfort and the support, but not, not at the, 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 the chance of disregarding them the warning. There's got to be a balance, or otherwise we'll become very imbalanced, going in either direction, being heavy-handed in the warning, and not being offsetting that with comfort and, and, and support. We, we need a balance of both. And so the constant balancing act of the church is properly handling then... Uh, what I would like to say, it's properly handling grace and truth. We can't live at either end of the spectrum. You can't just be solely heavy in grace and then discount truth. But you can't just be totally just all up in truth and not glaze it with some grace. The balance is found for us in John 1 and 14 we know John 1 and 1 that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And we all time skip down to verse 14 that says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, And of His fullness have all we received grace for grace for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ he says whenever Jesus came into the world he was full of grace and truth and us that have been benefactors of him have also received that fullness of grace and truth amen we've received that and so the balance then isn't that it's just all of grace or it's just all of truth but there is a portion that is grace and a portion of truth but there is all of grace and all of truth found in Jesus Christ that we have been made partakers of and so to live only on the grace spectrum though 
to only live on the gray spectrum with them to be relaying to the people that there's no responsibility for them to grow up and mature ever. To lay it, live in the house of grace is to put no responsibility upon us as Christians that we need to grow up. That we need to mature. That we need to become responsible for our actions or even our inactions. That, that, that it doesn't matter if you live the moral laws of God. Don't worry about it. He's graceful to live in that spectrum. But to only live on the truth end, the truth spectrum, then as many times to, to kill some newborns, if you will, kill some babies before they're ever born or even have been born to abort. Huh? Someone even being born into the kingdom of God. Now, Brother McGee, now, now, now listen to me. You have certain responses, and you, you've heard me say this before. If we use real human, real human analogy, you, you increase the responsibility of your child as they increase maturity. Right? I don't have a three-year-old toddler out mowing the lawn. That would not be very advantageous, and if I won straight lines, I for sure wasn't going to do it. <laughs> right? But you're not having your 16-year-old sit down at the table and feeding them straight. Strained peas. Huh? Right? Well, nobody, nobody understanding today. What I'm saying is this. It takes grace and truth. But the moment those are interjected in their life is all very important based upon the maturity of an individual. Amen? Amen. Amen, Brother McGee. That's right. And so there's a balance that's needed inside the church. Jesus found the balance very well whenever he dealt with the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. In John chapter number 8, that woman was brought into the Lord. She's caught in the very act of adultery. There is no question that, that, that something, she has done something wrong. There is no question in that. And yet whenever he speaks to those that have gathered around to stone her because they said Moses and the law says that she should be stoned. But Lord, we want to know what you have to say concerning the matter. And he scrawls in the ground and he stands up and he says, whoever is without sin should cast the first stone at her. And the Bible says from the eldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they backed up. And the only person that was left there was the Lord and the woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. And she said, in verse number 11 he asked her he says Where, wherefore art thou accusers where are they and her response was she said no man lord no one is here and Jesus said unto her neither do I condemn thee what is that grace but he doesn't leave it there he says go and sin no more what is that truth so here's the situation. Said, oh, don't, don't, don't worry. I don't condemn thee. Everything's fine. And he had left it just at that. She might have found herself shacking up in a bed with another man that wasn't her husband. Uh-huh. See, because some, sometimes people take grace as a license to do whatever they want, when they want, and it'll be okay because God's a gracious God. And he is. But he's such a gracious God that he doesn't want to have to dispense it again over and over for the same thing you should know in the first time. And so he says, go and don't do it again. Truth. God's not an enabler. like you know somebody gets themselves slammed in jail because they evidently did something absolutely wrong 
me as a parent, I go up there and I get little Johnny out of jail and take him home. Bless God that we just put down $500 bail to get him out. And a few weeks from now, he does the exact same thing and lands himself in jail. And I go over there and I pay $500, get little Johnny out, and we take him back home. And you know, a few weeks from now, he gets himself slammed right back in jail for the same. And I go and get 500 You know, I'm not helping that kid. Oh, but you're being so gracious. You're loving your kid by doing that. No, reality, you're really hating your kid by doing that because you're becoming an enabler. Honey, whenever Christ comes with truth, but he's gracious enough to forgive you for what you have done, but he comes with truth and says, let's not do it again. That's not Christ, amen, hating you. That's Christ loving you. The Bible says he chastises those whom he loves. And so there's a balance. So we warn the unruly, but we also comfort the feeble-minded and we support the weak. Again, not an either or, a and and both. Amen. And so with purpose, Paul addresses this church of the Thessalonians. Look at it in chapter 2. He addresses them in chapter 2. Somewhere around verse number 7, he addresses this church who's preoccupied with the coming of the Lord, preoccupied with the last days. And he approaches them. You look at it. He approaches them. As a gentle nurse, this is how he, let me just read it. I just want to read it this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 and, and verse number 7. He says, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherish her, cherisheth her children. He says, we're, we're, we were with you like a nurse that cherishes her. Now, that, that's pretty gentle. That's pretty gentle. He goes on in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because we were, because ye were dear unto us. And so he starts out of the gate speaking to the church at Thessalonian, almost putting himself and those that were ministering to them as a nurse or in a motherly row and a motherly fi- uh, uh, figure of affectionately that of a mother that's affectionately desirous of her children. What, what do you picture in that? You, you picture a mom that has a baby almost in her arms and you just patting the cheeks and caring and cooing and oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a very pleasant scene of just kindness and warmth. However, then just a few verses further down in verse number 11, he speaks to them. And describes that they also came unto them as a father that exhorts, comforts, and charges his children. And so he has both roles that he says, we are coming to you Thessalonians as. We're coming to you as the gentleness, with the gentleness of a mother that has affection for her children. But we're also coming to you as a disciplinarian father that charges his children. He wanted both rows involved in order to create balance for the Thessalonian church. We'll be the loving mother, but we'll also be the correcting father. Because it takes both to make a child what a child needs to be in adulthood. Amen. And so we need the warning and we need the comfort. It takes both. Amen. We need the gentle affection of a mother, and we need the exhortation and the charge of the father. There must be balance. Why? Look at it. Verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at it. That's after he's talking about these rows, the motherly row and the fatherly row, and he comes then out of the gate in verse 12 and gives the reason why. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom 
and glory. He says, because if you'll have that love of a mother and that correction of a father, it'll cause you to walk right. Huh? It'll cause you to walk right. And you want to be walking right whenever the day of the Lord is at hand. Oh, yeah. And so his last admonition then to the church, support the weak. The weak were, were those that were most exposed, those that were many times considered to be the ill or the handicapped. It was normally this type of grouping of people that were kept toward the back of the troops whenever they marched. Were the lame, it was those that were infirm that were kept toward the back whenever they would go out and marched. It's in, it's in this setting that, though of scripture Paul speaking to the church that he's not though necessarily speaking of these weak as being the handicapped in a literal sense or the ill in a literal sense he wasn't necessarily speaking about a physical weakness in a literal sense but he was talking about those that are weak in the faith weak in the faith and so these were those that were weak in the faith and and here here is the difficulty whenever individual is spiritually weak. When you find yourself spiritually weak, you are more prone to temptation and you're more prone to sin. Whenever you are spiritually weak. Spiritually weak sometimes even correlates with the more immature that's in the church. Both in the gospel of Matthew and in the gospel of Mark, Jesus comes to the disciples during his Gethsemane prayer before he's to be crucified and says, in Matthew 26 and verse 41, watch and pray, saying this to his disciples, that ye enter not into temptation. He says, the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is what? The flesh, he says, is weak. And so it's in this episode, I believe Jesus, I know Jesus, hit the nail on the head because Jesus was basically coming to the boys and letting them know. He says, I'll tell you where your weakness stems from. I'll tell you where your spiritual weakness comes from and where you're, you're, you're being prone to temptation and to sin comes from, where your immaturity comes from. It comes from your flesh because your flesh is weak. Someone say amen. He says your flesh is weak. Look, look, look what Paul says in Romans 8 and verse number 4. I like verses of Scripture. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life, peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please 
God. Did you see all the times it spoke of the flesh? The flesh is weak. You mind the things of the flesh? If you, 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 you go after the flesh, you'll mind the things of the flesh. That'll cause you prone to spiritual weakness, to temptation, possibility of sinning. Carnal mind is death. Carnal mind is an enemy of God. The flesh cannot please God. And here's the thing about your flesh. You're not going to change your flesh. Men from Adam forward, no one has ever changed their flesh. You're not going to change the flesh. The flesh was weak, the flesh is weak, and the flesh shall forever be weak. It'll always be weak. It'll always be an enemy of God. It cannot please God. But the way that we support the weak is by entreating them to walk after the Spirit. The way that we support the weak, and if they're weak, they must be prone or leaning to the fleshly side of their life more than they are the spiritual side of their life. They must be more carnally minded than they are spiritually minded. They must be involving themselves with the things of the secular world more than they are the things of the God. And so they are weak. And so the only way we can support the weak is by imploring them, walk after the spirit, delve into the spirit, be mindful of the things of the the spirit because you're not going to change the flesh amen and so to support the weak it means to to support the weak it means to cling to them to hold on to them or literally to hold fast to the weak have you ever in a very literal sense have you ever in a very literal sense held on to somebody that was weak Feeble person, perhaps trying to, trying to walk. Huh? You ever done? Can you come here, Bishop? <laughs> he can walk. But I'm going to help you walk, okay? You're weak and infirm. He's the weak. I'm trying to help him. And you know, whenever you're doing, you're there. You're clinging to them. You're holding them. You're supporting them. But do you also notice that whenever you're trying to help a weak person walk? It's not that you're just clinging to them and holding them, but many times you're helping direct them. Mm. You're setting their feet in the direction that they need to try to drag them and go. It's not just keeping them up, but it's keeping them in the direction they need to be going. And whenever we become weak, Brother Pat, and we are paying attention to the fleshly things and we become weak in the spirit, then we are open to temptation and we are open to sin. And as a result, we're wanting to go that way, but we got to cling to them. Yeah. Say, right. say, come on, we need to get our feet going this direction. Yeah. Right. Huh? We, 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 we need a head. I, I, know, I know the weakness is causing you to sway over that way. Yeah. You, you, you got you an automatic pull to the left, so to speak, but we need to get back to the right. Yeah. Come on. We, Amen. You know, you, there's various ways that we do that. Amen. We call people. We encourage people. Amen. We tell people that we're having this or that at the church. It's been a while since we see them. We'd really, you know what you're doing? You're supporting the weak. I'd really like you to come to family game night this, this, this month. Man, we had a great time. You know what you're trying to do? You're trying to support the weak. This is important. This, this all goes down to being balanced. Notice 
Notice exactly what Paul said. He said, support the weak. Are you listening to me? He did not say support the weakness. He didn't say anything about supporting the weakness. He said support the weak, the one that has fell prey to the weakness. See, see, whenever you get confused, you might start supporting the weakness. See, that's when you become the enabler. Man, you need to come to family game night because, man, we had a really good time last week. We, we just haven't seen you. I'd really like you to come. Well, last time I was there, somebody said such and such. such. Oh, really? Well, you know, I heard that they said something before about somebody else. You know what you're doing? You're supporting the weakness. We want to support the weak, not the weakness. Let me tell you, there's enough supporting without our aid of the weakness. Uh huh. Misery loves company. You can have a bandwagon that's going somewhere, but if it has a lot of people on it, other people's going to join. You don't need no help in that. And so he goes on to say, because I'm going to get this thing done today. He goes on to say, you support the weak. And he says, be patient toward all men. Now, that's a heavy burden. <laughs> and that's because he says, be patient toward all men. And so that means all those that have previously just been listed. The unruly, be patient. Feeble-minded, be patient. The weak, be patient. Anybody else that's otherwise categorized, it says all men, be patient. Almost be spoken as in a phrase like this that, just move slowly with everybody. Just move slowly with everybody. Sometimes that isn't always easy to do. You've heard me say before, my speech sometimes can be pretty quick. And whenever I'm talking to someone whose natural talk speed is slow, I'm standing there filling in the blanks before they even say it. Because I'm like, let's, let's get this conversation going here. You know, daylight is burning I could have had already three other conversations by the time I finished the one with you. Nothing against you. It's just, it's just the differences of people. <laughs> but this is telling me to move slowly with everybody. You know what? It? It, it's like I can't be in the right lane passing. I got to find the speed that everybody's traveling at and just kind of stay in pace. That is tough. The Bible says in Genesis 33 and verse 12, but we're implored to do so. Genesis 33 and verse 12, this is Esau speaking to Jacob. Jacob is on his return home. Esau is meeting him. Jacob is a little uncertain how this meeting is going to go. The Bible says Esau says this to Jacob in verse 12, and he said, let us take our journey and let us go, and I will go before thee. So they, they've met now, and he's basically saying, let's travel together. I will go before thee. And he said unto him, this is Jacob speaking to Esau now, my Lord knoweth that the children are tender, interpreted weak or faint-hearted. The children are tender. And the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. 
he, he, he puts out there in verse 14 then, let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant. He says, you just go on. And I will lead on softly according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. In other words, what Jacob was telling Esau was this. He says, I know that you're, you're, you're wanting us to travel together. He says, but I'm afraid you're going to travel at such a fast pace that, that these cattle that just had calves and, and our young children that are here won't be able to endure the speed that you're wanting to travel at. He said, don't get me wrong. We want to get to where you're going. We just don't know if we can get there at the speed that you can get there at. He said, so as a result of that, he says, you go ahead, and I'm going to stay right here. What is going? I'm going to be patient. I'm going to stay right here and travel at the speed that I know that they're capable at traveling at. Listen today. I'm not saying that Jacob was afraid to challenge their abilities. No, that's not the case. He just didn't want them to be overdriven. He didn't want them to be trying to be taken beyond what they could do. Jacob knew what those calves could do. Jacob knew what those young children could do. He didn't want them to die. He didn't want to try to go at such a fast pace that they would die because what's the good of trying to get somewhere if you die along the trip? Talking about balance here. huh? If you die along the trip, he said, I'd much rather push them and challenge them to their extent to where they felt like, you know what, we, tra- we, we did some miles today, but yet when we met our destination, they were there. Let me break it down like this. You, you, you. This is the reason why that whenever people come into the church and they're new converts, huh, that we might travel at a slow pace with them because we want them to get to the same destination that the X number year in the church Fred McGee is headed toward. We want them to get there. All right? We don't want them to die along the way. But that's the reason why we might travel slow with them, but we tell the Fred McGee's, you go on. You go on. We go get there. The immature, these young ones are going to get there. I'm going to challenge them every day to try to go more miles than they did the day before. But we can't just drive them from start point to finish point lest they die. But they're going to get there. But I also want to bring challenge today to those that have been walking at a steady pace for several years. I think the muscles in your legs and the toning in your back is strong enough now you can clip off another mile tomorrow that you couldn't have yesterday. It's time to pick up the pace. But we're going to be patient. We're going to be patient with those that need patience. Uh (laughs) We're going to be patient with those that need patience. We don't want them to be overdriven and die. Mm -mm. We want them to make it. Want them to make it. So Paul is preaching Patience. Jacob was illustrating patience. Here's something I understand. Last month, what is this? This is June, right? right? It's crazy. Last month was May. 
And this is the year 2018. <clears throat> but last month, whenever Sister McGee and I was traveling north to do prison up there in Erie, Pennsylvania, right close to Lake Erie, as we were traveling up there toward the end of May, it was, wasn't it, dear? Mother's Day weekend. All right, that's right. I realized in that moment, according to nature, I realized that people, people are not only in different seasons of life, but of varying degrees of the same season. And here's why I say that. It was springtime. It was springtime. We, we had leaves on trees, buds, warm weather. It was warm weather back here. Absolutely. And the further we traveled north, we traveled nine hours that day to get up there. The further we traveled north, I seen no leaves but just buds on the trees up there. And we were back home in the 80s. We was up there, and it was 44 degrees. But it was springtime. It was springtime. It was hot back home. We had full foliage back, foliage back home. But now... Up here north, buds and 44, I didn't take a coat. Probably should have. It was 44 degrees. And it was in that moment that I just felt like God touched my heart. Said, it is springtime. But people can be at, in springtime at varying levels. You might be deep within your spring while somebody else is just starting to bud in their spring. Big temperature difference, big difference in what was being produced, but we were all still in springtime. So you, you cannot prejudge somebody in spring season that may just be entering it as you are already midway through it. So we warn the unruly and we comfort the feeble-minded and we support the weak. As I, as I looked at these three varieties of people from the very onset that I didn't feel like maybe till this lesson of bringing everything to a close today, mentioning it. And these three different varieties of people, I see something that, that surfaces that almost parallels Bishop with the parable of the seed and the sower that's in the Gospels. Because when you read like Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, the, the parable of the sower is found in, in all of those, those three different gospel uh, writings. Whenever you read the parable of the sower who came forth to sow his seed, the Bible says that whenever he sowed his seed and he put forth some seed, he sowed some and some seeds fell by the wayside, the wayside. And that the seeds that fell by the wayside, that the fowls of the air came and devoured the seeds. And when later in the chapter it gives the explanation or the translation of the parable, the meaning of the parable of the sower, sower it basically said those fowls that came and devoured the seeds are, are, are like the wicked one that came and stole the seeds away. And so whenever I consider the ground of the wayside, it makes me consider then for our purposes of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it makes me think of those that are unruly. Mm -hmm. Are unruly. The seed never even, even entered the ground. It never, no root ever 
grew. There was nothing that ever took place. It was snatched away before. And so it is the wayside. And then the Bible says that the sower sowed some seeds and some of it fell upon stone places. And the Bible says the stony places, the seeds did not have much earth. And thus, whenever they sprung up, they sprung up without any deepness in the ground. And the Bible says the sun came up then and scorched the plant because they had no root. And the Bible says then that tribulation or testing, the meaning then, the meaning of the parable, said that that sun coming up and scorching them, it says it's likened to then testing or tribulation and persecution that comes and offends an individual and them having no root in themselves, as the Bible says it. They had no root in themselves, then they are scorched. That made me think of the stony places of being the feeble-minded because remember, the feeble-minded, they're the quitters. When things get tough, see y'all later. When the sun comes up, and there's no depth, no deepness of earth. There, there is no depthness in root in themselves. Remember we started talking about confidence and different things during that week? It's just then, then they're offended and they're, they're taken away. They are scorched. Then lastly, the sower with the seeds, the Bible says, some of it fell upon the thorny ground. The parable says that the thorns choked the seed. And the meaning of the parable is this, that the thorns that choke the seed are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches that choke, if I might say it, the lust for other things. Huh? You got lust for other things, it's because you're weak. You're in your flesh. There's other things that are more appealing and then it fell upon the good ground. Now, the same seed, of course, was sown on all these differing grounds. There wasn't anything wrong with the seed. The good ground proves that. There wasn't anything wrong with the seed. And so the sower cannot and could not make better the seed. Couldn't make better the seed. He could only influence the ground. Seed's good. Couldn't perfect the seed. All he could do then was influence the ground. And so what Paul, I believe, then likewise is admonishing in Thessalonians is this. Harvest day is approaching. And as a result of that, we cannot increase the fidelity of this seed. I can't increase the fidelity of this message. It's a good message. I'm not talking about necessarily what I'm preaching this morning. I'm just saying it's a good message. It's a good seed. I can't increase the goodness, if you could say it like that. I can't increase the perfection of this seed. It is a good seed. Amen. It's the best that we got. It's the best that there is. Our only hope then as harvest time approaches is to somehow influence the ground. How? By warning the unruly. Huh? By comforting the feeble-minded. By supporting the weak. Now here's the thing. There's a lot of influencers among the different grounds. Even in the parable of the seeds. What? Influencers. There were the fowls of the air. There were the sun that rose up and scorched. There were the thorns. There were the stones. Whenever I read that, there are always outside influencers. 
The Bible speaks in 1 John that those things that we contend with are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In Ephesians 2, it describes it like this, that there is the spirit of worldliness, there is the prince and power of the air, huh? and there are the lust of our flesh. But here is the fact of the matter. Whichever they may be, they always seem to impact or try to influence the results that the ground has with the seed. And so Paul says everyone, church people alike, must warn, must comfort, and must support because the day of the Lord is approaching. Amen. If you can stand with me today, the day of the Lord is approaching. And so I got I to gotta somehow influence the ground. Got to influence the ground. Got to influence where the seed has fallen. Got to allow for it to take root and take depth and that it would grow and that it would prosper. We got to somehow influence the ground. If we embow our heads in this place this morning, The coming of the Lord, as it's been stated over and over again in Scripture, is at hand. And sir, ma'am, I am not surprised and I would not be wowed this morning if among us here today are the unruly, the feeble-minded, and the weak. I would not be surprised today if... There are those that are just desiring to chart their own path away from the steps of the Lord. I would not be surprised today that there are others because of persecution, trial, and, and, and over much sorrow that's entered their lives in the past months, years, or, or, or just faint and feeling like throwing in the towel, quitting and giving up. I would not be surprised that there are some that even come here on a Sunday morning to church that has a mindset that is more secular and worldly and after the things of the world than they are of God. That needs to be strengthened today. That needs to be strengthened to direct and guide their steps that's appropriately concerning God's word and lean back in rather than leaning out. I would not be surprised today, but the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so I'm asking us as a church family this morning, help me as a pastor today to warn the unruly. That doesn't mean to be mean-spirited. That doesn't mean to be ugly, but it means to be with a hand of grace and gentleness still yet to give the truth of a warning that when you say no one's condemned thee, but go and sin no more, just lacing all that together to warn the unruly and comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak because the Lord is coming back. Does anybody believe that the Lord is coming back? The old song we used to sing is soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the king. Can us pray right now together? Father, I come to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.